There have been a lot of great hockey players over the years. Legends, both on and off the ice. The Overtime Podcast checks in with some of hockey's biggest names and talks about what these great players are up to today. Welcome to the Overtime Podcast. Here's your host, Gino Retta. Hey, hockey fans. Welcome to the 7-Eleven Overtime Podcast. I'm your host, Gino Retta. You know, I've spent over four decades now working in the game of hockey, fortunate enough to meet some of the great legends of the game, saw them come into the league, watched them since... Uh, as they shone in the league, and now they've moved on to life after the game. And the 7-Eleven Overtime Podcast gives us a chance to catch up, tell some great stories, relive some great memories, and hear what they're up to today. Today's legend won the Art Ross Trophy, two-time Ted Lindsay Award winner as the player voted most valuable by the players themselves. 650 goal seasons, eight 100-point seasons, sixth on the NHL's all-time goal-scoring list, Hockey Hall of Famer, top 100 player of all time. I could go on and on. He is Marcel Dion. Welcome, Marcel. It is, I'm so looking forward to catching up with you, my friend. Thank you very much. I, uh, it's a pleasure when I was asked if I could do a Zoom they didn't tell me how tough it was to, <laughs> but uh, you know what? Uh, you're a special person. I have oh. enjoyed you over the years. Uh, your voice, your understanding of sports. Uh, you present yourself really good. Uh, different than what some of them are today. But if I hear it's you that's doing it, I would listen all the time. <laughs> Here are a couple of hot, tasty ways to crush the crave. Download the 7 Now delivery app and 7-Eleven will have your hot and delicious Crave Crushers to your door almost before you can say, fuel me up, Sev. You know the Crave I'm talking about. The one that's whispering wings or pizza in your ear right now. For just $11.69, order a large hot from the oven in minutes pepperoni pizza. Add a two liter Coke or Pepsi for $2. 7-Eleven is your go-to for fast delivery of Slurpee, groceries, essentials, meals, snack and treats 24-7. On behalf of hockey fans who got a chance to watch you, there are some great moments and I want to talk about the miracle on Manchester and I want to talk about you know a lot of other things that have happened to you the year you beat Gretzky for the scoring title and I'm going to talk about all that but I want to start with something that was really near and dear to me was the 72 Summit Series was great but it wasn't best on best. It wasn't the absolute all the best players against all the best players like the 1976 Canada Cup that you were involved in. I look back on that team that you were a critical part of. Lafleur, Clark, Hall, Esposito, Larry Robinson, yourself. In my mind, that's the greatest single collection of a Team Canada, possibly of a hockey team in hockey history. What, what do you recall of 76? Would you agree with that or disagree? Uh, it's it's pretty good. Uh, Serge Savard, it went a lot of Stanley Cups. Yeah. And he always went back to that. 72 was different because he was the unknown. Yeah. For me in 76, it was, I was with all the winners. They won Cups. I watched them what their thinking was and around the locker room. How do they talk? How does uh, talk about your families, you know, travel and this and that. And it was different. It was totally, totally different. And me started in Detroit and never witnessed that for 18 years. Yeah. 
that was it. It wasn't so much the cup. You you were never surrounded by that kind of talent. I mean, your line mates were Bobby Hall and Phil Esposito. Did you look around and go, hey, thank God, finally I got guys? Well, they, they, it makes the game so much easier. Yeah. Understand where the puck's going to be. Understand what you have to do. Uh, it came down to Phil Esposito. It's a funny thing. So, Actually, I was playing at the training camp with Bobby Hull and Danny Gare. And I'm not kidding you. We were the best line. Bobby was incredible. One pass, boom, it was in the net. And Danny was a mucker, right? So uh, Danny got hurt. And Phil, we had black sweaters, right? Like the black aces. Yeah. Phil's along the boards and he looks at the two of us. He says, guys, if I don't play with you, they're going to cut me. <laughs> He said, what? No. So here's what happened. They shifted me to right wing. I never played right wing. They put me in right wing. Phil came at center with Bobby. So he said, I said, how Bobby says, how are we gonna play? No, Phil said, how are we gonna play? I said, Well, I told Bobby when you got the puck, he goes on the other side because Bobby would go all over the ice. Yeah. But I said, as soon as I see him leave. I go on his side. He said, oh, that because he played with Ken Hodge yeah. and Brent Cashman, and they were basically up and down wingers, right? It was it was phenomenal. It was a phenomenal yeah. thing. But here's what I gotta tell you. Never played right wing. Never played right wing. Yeah. Bob Bulford, not I'm naming people that I hope your audience know who they are. Bob Bulford was my coach in Los Angeles, and he coached the US team. After we went, I went home to back to LA at training camp. You know what Bob Pulford did? We had too many centers. He put me at right wing. This could blow you away that you don't know and everybody doesn't know. Never played right wing. I played right wing all season. I scored over 50 goals. Yep. When he came down to selection of all stars, watch this. It picked me as a center player. Shows <laughs> <laughs> you how much these people watch the game. I know. The game, they couldn't figure a true story. I played right wing. I had four or five different centers. How tough is this? I don't think so. Now you tell me kid cannot play there, can't do this, can't do Try him. Give him a shot. Play there. So you guys won the gold in the, the Canada Cup in 76. You didn't win in 81, but you had a couple of line mates people recognize, uh, Wayne Gretzky and Guy Lafleur. Was that the best line you ever played on? I didn't have the time. only played at eight games. You know what? Yeah. A whole year slowly. Let's go reverse. How long good lines stick together? Yeah. We call it a triple crown line. Then you have... Yeah. The S4 line, right? Then you got the, the gag line. Then you got the whatever, you name it. Yeah. The amazing thing with the Montreal Canadiens, like say in 1981, they had guys, you know, they had guys been playing together for eight years. Yeah. Yeah. Me, it was a revolving door. Yeah. We got something going, six new guys at camp. But the problem is, Marcel, guys couldn't play with you. That's the issue. Because you were able to do stuff that other guys couldn't keep up with. Is that not fair? No. That's not true. 
Come on, Marcel. The, the hard part was the hard part was you, you, your game was at a different level and it was hard for teams to find guys that could play with you. No, not true. You're got, humble. Yeah. Okay. Dave Taylor or Charlie Simmer. Let's say Charlie Simmer, right? Yeah. The triple crown line. You hurt. These guys would get hurt. They, they, they were muckers. Players yep. hurt. Dave Taylor is out for two weeks. Guess what? In the morning, guys are coming in. I watch it. I'm sitting there. Guys come in. Then you look on the on the wall. Oh, what's going on there? The guy sees his name. You moved up right wing with Marcel. As soon as the player, this is a true story, it happened many times. That player playing on the third line or fourth line, suddenly his team preparation was not the same. And that's yeah. what he was. Now he knew. He knew, whoa, that he was going to touch the puck. Yeah. He had chances to score. He could play the power play. It was a different thing. Yeah. It just happened. I have different guys that can tell you this. Yeah. Start one goal, two assists, two goals, three assists for a week. Now, this guy, oh, wow, it's different. These serious. Well, sure. They feel like they won the lottery. They get to play with you. They knew they were going to score. Well, here's what happened. And I would, that's the biggest thing about my career, what I witnessed. Now, the player comes back. Now, he goes back. Yeah. It's lined, and guess what? It's over. You're yeah. right. And you know why? Because these people that were coaches and general managers, they were not bad people. They were not bad people. They just couldn't figure out it. how do you get the most out of players. Yeah. Now, what's the game still? Some guys would touch the puck. Yeah. McDavid probably touches 5,000 times and went. <laughs> yeah, but you know what though, and there's a, there's a lot of comparisons there between what McDavid is doing now and what you did back then, because people are constantly looking at McDavid and saying the poor guy, the poor guy, he's scoring points, he's scoring like you, you put in a crap load of points and a crap load of goals, and we'll get to that. But you couldn't win because they couldn't build a team around you strong enough to win. And people are like, how much longer is McDavid going to put up with this before he says, I want to get out of here. Put me someplace where we can either bring guys in that can help me so we build a strong enough team to win or let me go. Well, you remember, they went from six teams to original six. Yeah. They went to 12 teams. Yeah. They would have two teams. The next one was Buffalo and Vancouver. Can you imagine Gilbert Poole going to Vancouver. Yeah. Talent goes to Buffalo. It's not the same thing. One. No. But it's, uh, it's the understanding. It's just, they don't go deep enough. And, and, and what Scotty Bowman told me, he says, what there is in the NHL, that's many years ago, right? And Scotty is pretty smart. He said, yeah. this, about coaches, they recycle. It's yeah. Every three years. Do you think those guys change? No. I'm in business. If I fire a manager, this is it. That's a chance he had. Yeah. But get away. I, I remember Pat Burns telling me that it was it was hysterical. He said he just signed here better three years. I don't know if it was Jersey or, or Boston. And he goes, oh, I'm lucky, I got three more years. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And 
you don't change. You know, it's yeah. and players sit there and they kind of turn and say, what do you want me to do? The first thing when I turn pro in the NHL, listen to this. I'm playing junior hockey, right? Hey, you got away with a lot of things. And the coach said, well, now you're in the NHL. Now you should know what to do. What do you mean I should know what to do? There was no no system. Yeah. My center, the, the guys are bigger. How do you do that? So when you, when you lose, you build that on it. Then you it, it's car surviving, surviving yeah. mode. Okay, so let me ask you this. So so now you're you're a kid. You're getting ready to go into the NHL draft, and it's Guy Lafleur and you, one and two. Guy ends up on the Habs, wins five Stanley Cups because he gets dropped into. He's replacing Jean Beliveau. Jean Beliveau's moving out, retiring. Guy steps into that situation. Steps in a situation with a team that's surrounded by unbelievable talent. You go second overall to Detroit, a horrible team that was just had just lost Gordy Howe. He had just retired the year before that. And yet you still kick butt. You had 40 and 47 goal seasons in your time, your short time with Detroit. You had the rookie scoring record at that point was 77 points. Do you ever wonder how much different your career could have been if you were in a different draft year or had been drafted to a team like the Montreal Canadiens or to a different team that had good management? Because let's be honest, the guy who was running the Red Wings back then was a guy who had done nothing but run college teams at that point. And you're right about that. But actually... This is, has never, never crossed my mind. Oh, come on, Marcel. I had to, because you had to think if you would put me around some of these guys. No, it never, it never crossed my mind. Do you know why? You said it yourself. Because I could perform. Yeah. I could play. I had passion about it. And I had guys around it. I mean, my biggest disappointment when I turned pro, do you know what it was? The drinking and the smoking. It was a joke. I might have a beer and play junior, but not like that. We had so much time on our hands that yeah. the says, let's go for lunch. And the lunch turned to be dinner. And dinner is this, it's one o'clock in the morning and you get yeah. it the next day. <laughs> this is true. And the way I look at this is we are athletes. We're supposed to play with the best of our ability. We've got to give ourselves a chance. And that's why I had an edge compared to other guys. I just say, hey, make the commitment. Most of the guys did not make any money. So, you know, like, guys live freaking paycheck to paycheck. I, I, I lived it. And it's pretty tough to perform compared to what it's been the last 20 years in sports. And also, you got to have passion. Yeah. got to find a way. And I said, I'm going to find a way. You got to go up there. I remember we had meetings. Says, we got to get rid of the coach. He's no good. Then I had to stand up to say, you can't, can't do that. Who says you're going to be here if they bring the new next coach? Yeah. You'll be the next one to get traded or to get rid of the manager. Starts all over again. What was it like for you as a young kid coming into that scenario like that where I mean, you had an edge. You always had an edge, and it made you who you are. I mean, we talked today about, you know, the smaller players in the league and Johnny Goudreau. Oh, you could never have played in the league 30, 40 years ago. And you did. You were 5'8", five, 5'9", five, and you dominated. I mean, you 
dominated in the NHL during your peak. What was it about your personality? What was it like for you to step into a scenario and say, guys, I'm here because I do this. If you all jump on with me on this, we could win. First of all, my dad was 6'1", big, strong man. And Gordy Helf, we first met, that's the, that's the summer he retired. He looked at my dad and he looked at me, he says, what happened to you? He said, look, look at my mom. <laughs> my English was not the greatest, but I knew what he meant. Yeah. My dad was bigger than, and strong, a real strong man. So looking back to what I see today, the size of a player meant nothing to me. When I see photos or I see videos of myself, I say, how the heck did I do this? Because now I said, holy jeez, those guys are huge. But my idol was Sean Bellavo. Yeah. If you look at an idol, wow, there's a guy 6'4", this and that. I love the way he handled the puck, how he did things. It was not a lot of speed, but he had charisma. He was special. He was my hero growing up. Oh, he was, oh, yeah. But you know what? I changed real quick. I said, no, he's not the guy that I got to watch. I got to watch Cornway. I got to watch Henry Richard. That's all the small, Davey Keon, Stan Mikita. Yeah. How the last thing in his career. And uh, I, had, I, had, I was more physical than they were. Had a lot to do with my dad and his strength, yeah. my legs. But I had no fear. Yeah. I had a fear when I hear people said, the teacher says, you're chicken if you don't go first in the quarter. You're chicken. I hear that's a chicken. Who's chicken? I said, I tell the kids, teach the team, I said, well, tell the parents, says, no, it's not true. You don't have to be the first guy to go in the corner. You go right behind him and you take the puck take out. Take the puck. You take that puck out. <laughs> I play against Zeno Chara. Am I stupid? <laughs> if he crushes me, it's over. But see the, the changes? Yeah, for sure. Circle. How you circle? I'll make you an example. I, I don't want to get lost in, in the interview, but I'll tell you one player I watch Gallagher. I watched him play in Vancouver. And he was playing with Luchik. They had a really good team. And I watched him. I think he was just in your face. He just, oh. and when I saw him turn pro, I said, nobody's teaching him. And then he would circle and he's in front of the net because the bullies now don't, don't bother you. He would not position himself to me for the same size, how I did it, to not getting hit and get hurt. And he, he has taken a beating. Yeah, he has. That he could have salvaged that by circling how to push the defenseman, make sure that you get the eye on the puck on the defenseman, and then you move in. Because once once you move in and the puck is coming, if you get hit, it doesn't hurt, especially if you score. Yeah, exactly. And you get hit, then you let the defense and you put the puck on the net. <laughs> the pain doesn't last as long. <laughs> so, so that's the difference. Uh, of the way it is. Here are a couple of hot, tasty ways to crush the Crave. Download the 7Now delivery app and 7-Eleven will have your hot and delicious Crave crushers to your door almost before you can say, fuel me up, Sev. You know the Crave I'm talking about. The one that's whispering, wings. 
or pizza in your ear right now. For just $11.69, order a large hot from the oven in minutes pepperoni pizza. Add a two liter Coke or Pepsi for $2. 7-Eleven is your go-to for fast delivery of Slurpee, groceries, essentials, meals, snack and treats 24-7. We're in conversation with Hockey Hall of Famer, hockey legend Marcel Dion, one of the greatest of all time, voted one of the top 100 players of all time, sixth on the all-time uh, goal scoring list. So, Marcel, after after a few rough years, four rough years in Detroit, by the way, just four years in, Gordy Howe's best scoring record uh, for the Red Wings in his 25 seasons there was 109 points. In your fourth year, you had 121 and destroyed his franchise record just to kind of give people a perspective of what kind of scorer you were. Other teams start looking and say, you know, we've got a strong team here. We need a Marcel Dion to come in here and help score some goals. It was the LA Kings. They had a strong team, good talent, good balance, good opportunity, but they couldn't score goals. So they go out and they start talking to you and your agent about possibly coming there, which leads to at that point, the single biggest contract in NHL history. Walk me through that transition from the Red Wings to the LA Kings and what, what that, that whole process was like for you. Uh, it was very simple. The WHA came in 1972, right? I was uh, drafted by Ottawa or something like that. I have no interest whatsoever, right? It wasn't the NHL. Yeah. Yeah, but money was an issue because yeah. you got to look back. If Paul doesn't go there, if Sheevers doesn't go there, and Leverage. a lot of these guys don't go there, but you talk about my contract, suddenly it, it gave a, a boost to a lot of players because the NHL, yeah. you know, it was a war, right, between Quebec. So for me, there was an opportunity, and Mickey Redmond is the one that, <laughs> he was a very good friend. And uh, I had agreed on a contract at 175000 a year. I'm rich, yeah. five years, and what am I going to do, right? And I started, I played at the 50, 75, 101 a quarter. My dad in 1972 was making at work $3,500 a year. When he first saw my paycheck, it was $3,500. I showed my dad, look at this. He says, geez, you make this in one month when I make one year, you know? See yeah, that common sure. sense, you know what I'm saying to you? What's it? So when, when I agreed to that, Mickey was uh, scoring 50 goals. He, he got a contract at 200000 He said, uh, Marcel, you can make more money than that. Yeah. I have somebody that represented me, and it was some. I said, Mickey, I'm happy. You make your 200 I make my 175 What happens, there was a problem, technical problem with my contract. And they said, oh, that was Eagleson, uh, the agent at the time. Why don't you uh, find out your worth? If they wanted me, yeah. they should have never said that. And when they said that, I'm a stubborn guy this way. That was the end. That's why Jack came in with this contract, 300000 a year. But I did go to Edmonton, and I was offered 250000 The biggest contract of all sport, 250000 The only reason they traded me. It's just that they would have lost yeah. me and got nothing in return if I went to Which, thank God, yeah, because Wayne exactly. got to play there. <laughs> so, anyway, that was the thing. And and the sad part, my, 
biggest, biggest critics, there were a lot of players, a lot of players. I couldn't believe that. I knew Bobby Clark. I mean, I said to Jeff, to uh, Billy Barber, Reg Lucius, guys, there is that kind of money. That's what happened. He says, we cannot make any more than Bernie Barat. Because that was the Flyers policy. They just said, here's what Clark is. You can't get any more money. And you can ask these guys. Yeah. You can ask these guys. When I went to Los Angeles, suddenly everybody's yeah. salary got bumped up. A guy was making yeah. 15, I was making 80,000. Yeah. Cost of living is a lot higher. But for me, the critics, when I first went back to Montreal, the Montreal newspaper, they ripped me apart because Keita Fleur, good friend of mine, signed. This is my first year. I, my first year, I signed a one-year no. contract. Have you heard this? <laughs> I had a good year. I signed. Because you believed in yourself. Three years. What's Keita Fleur? And that's what they've done to him. That's what my friend was not a businessman. Yeah. He didn't catch on to this. He, 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 yeah. he was the people, right? So he signed a, a three-year contract. I signed one. And these years, I said, well, he this that's where good. I look at it. I said, give yeah. him a chance. They got a bigger lineup, right? On his fourth year, watch this. I signed for 1.5. He signs a 10-year deal. At a hundred thousand dollars a year, who were those people? Tell Steve Shot, Larry Robinson, guys, is that kind of money? Here's the answer: We win Stanley Cups. I said, yeah. Do you think I don't want to win a Stanley Cup? The average of a yeah. player is five years. You got to take care of your family. I figured that real quick. Oh, 19,000 people. That's a late. The money, right? Yeah. It's just, it's not there. So, going to LA, different thing. <laughs> it was a, a pit stop for 12 years. It worked out real well, though. You had that three-year gap. I think it was 78 to 81, where you had 170 goals, 402 points over three seasons. That makes an NHL career, Marcel. Yeah. I love to play. And the guys that played with me, I know they did. I was, I, was, I was quiet, but I was very, very demanding. And that I regret. I, I, some guys, I saw more talent, but there was other issues. You know, and I, I hated that. I said, let's perform. Things will turn around. We've got to overcome that. And... Uh, it's just like hey, Colorado right now, right? After you win the Stanley Cup, I read the, the article this morning that they, yep. they have slipped. They got a lot of injuries. But in the years I played, teams were in command. Montreal won four, Philly two, the Islanders four, Edmonton comes back with four or five. They, Austin Bruins prior to that. These teams were in control. Now, yeah. it's... One year at a time. And I look at them. Oh my God! Where they were, it's different. It's absolutely. It's so demanding. It's crazy. I want to ask you something, Marcel. We're in conversation with Hockey Hall of Famer, NHL legend uh, Marcel Dion. This is the Seven Eleven Overtime Podcast. 
can't believe you. No. I can't believe you have no notes. Dude, I watched you your game. Yeah, I watched your game forever. And that's like you were one of my heroes. You're very good. So, but you just brought something up, which I'm kind of wrestling with. And I, and I don't know how to handle this because you're a friend of mine and I want to be politically sensitive about this. I get the sense, and I've never heard you talk like this before. I get the sense that it still hurts you. Some of the things that people said about why you were moving teams or what you were doing and, and what your motivation was like, I don't, I don't understand that because I, I see what you did. You were a guy who was driven to succeed and to score and to play well and to take care of your family. And yet I'm getting the sense that, that it's still kind of eating away at you. What some of the people were saying about you, is that something you're still living with today? Well, it, it's not so much what they said. It was just not, they were wrong. The, 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 the French Canadian, the press was over the top. I said, that's not me. Oh, you guys are in the La La Land. You know what I mean? What you talk? I scored two hat tricks against Ken Dryden. Two. I mean, <laughs> it didn't matter. I scored against all of them. All those goalies, you know, true I thank them. They made me famous. <laughs> There's not one. The resentment, it's not so much of that, but it started before the NHL. Yeah. When I was in Quebec, I was 16 years old. We won the championship, Drummondville. You play the St. Catherine Blackhawks in the OHA. The following year, I had to bring Quebec when I was uh, at Montreal, 15. What's it? 16 in Drummondville, we went. What, because the, the Quebec media thought you turned your back on them? Is that where that started? It come and got me. What's this? From that point on, it went backward. When they came and got me, I says. It's impossible. They won't let me go. General manager, the owner says, we'll make it happen. Okay. Thank God I had an uncle who was in the army, spoke English. I said, I went to see the Montreal Canadiens play junior kind of year before. I saw Gilbert Pro, just like he would play against each other. I was, I was amazed. I said, 16,000 people. This is exciting. That's what I'm part of, right? It was not so much to play with the Canadians. So the further away, the more things you do. So they came and got me. I missed the first uh, six or seven games. I got my release. They moved my mom, my mother, to my sister and my brother. What's this? They got lost somewhere. They talked about Eric Landers not oh. want to go to Quebec. What's what happened? They took care of my mother for four months, yeah. and he had to come up with stories, right? That she was divorcing my dad. Like, I don't think it was, but my mom was happy. She loves hockey. That was the greatest thing for her. So he built up. Then I would go back and play in Montreal, right? So that was against Guy Lafleur, uh, not Guy Lafleur, but uh, Gilbert Pro, Rick Mark, and he was playing in Quebec. All along, when I played my minor hockey, I played against he. Just we beat them. I won the junior B title, the midget, mm. the even the junior A yeah. who was playing for Quebec. We beat yeah. them that year. For two years prior to that, he blossomed. Okay, he get it. He became the best player. Wow, this for two hundred goals. He, when I walk in, I finished second in scoring. The great, the original, a good friend. Goldie. Won it. 
The next two years, I won the scoring title. My third year, I broke my collarbone. That was it. Ex-teammate of mine, Glenn Goldow, wow. broke my collarbone. What's this? The owner of the yep. team took him out for dinner because they finally got rid of me, right? See you later. True story. True story. Well, guess what? I came back. And those days, we only played 58 games. I, I didn't see some of those stats. I, and uh, that's when I got drafted. Yeah. Yeah. My mom went back. Yeah. My brother stayed with me. They paid all the expenses, and he played junior B for three years. Where do you hear that from today? Right? It's a lot of sacrifice. My dad, my mom, and all that stuff. Mike Bonello, I think it was Mike Bonello, was the coach for the uh, uh, Marlboros. Here's what he said, you know. He said, well, Marcel Dion will never be as good as Gilbert Pro in the yeah. NHL. And the guy that beat me for the award, because I finished second my first year there, I yeah. finished second again. They gave it to Gilbert Pro, the MVP, yeah. whatever. I didn't about that. It was laughable, right? And I was happy for Gilbert played four years and with the Canadians. And so it was he was the most exciting player yeah. I remember much. But he, he was a funny guy. And the third one, they gave it to Dave Garner. Great guy. Great guy. Dave Garner. The people started to boo. They wanted me to give him the award with the Malbros, right? Malbros were a favorite to beat them four straight. And Bonello said, I will never have a great career as good. I said, fine. And no he can go back and say, now you know, for anybody that's involved with the Toronto Bay belief since 1967, they got a tough time to draft players. <laughs> yeah. So here's a year that stands out to me. And uh, I think it kind of puts in perspective because sometimes you said, you mentioned a lot of stories about a lot of players that maybe a big chunk of our audience doesn't know the names. So here's what you need to know, because you'll know this name. Our audience knows Wayne Gretzky. And at one point, Wayne Gretzky had seven consecutive Art Ross trophy wins. The one he didn't win at the beginning of that was the 1979-80 season. There was another guy who tied Wayne Gretzky with 137 points in the 79-80 season. That guy is our guest on the show right now, and you actually won the Art Ross that year because you had more goals than the great one, Wayne Gretzky, that year. 137 points and more goals. Was that the year of your career? Not really. I'll tell you right thing. This one, I, I can. But come on, you knocked Gretzky off the Art Ross. Yeah, but he did it. I had one game. He, he was two points up, right? Well, we got to play. We got it's against the Vancouver Canucks. So somebody called me for I think it was Denver. Then he says, "Well, Wayne, uh, get two more points or something. What do you think of that?" Well, you got to play the game. I didn't think about it. Like long well, story short, and I was not aware of that. I got two assists in the first period, right? So when I get the second one, one of my teammates, defenseman Marcel, you won the scoring title. So. What are you talking about? We were tied. I didn't know there was a rule. I didn't know there was a rule that if there was a tie, whoever has most more goals will win the scoring. Oh, and this has happened in the NHL. 
Now I look at this, I said, well, it is what it is. Because I knew Wayne Gretzky was going to be the first player to get over 200 points. I knew what it could do. Yeah. I knew what a guys could do. This guy was beyond. Because I played in that division. Yeah. I was there a lot. But they were not 2-1 games or 3-1 games. They were 9-8. <laughs> yeah. And he went on to do this. I had two more goals. What's this? When I received my award in Toronto, I mean, in Montreal then, it was just like, let's get out of there. If I didn't have to go, I would not have gone. Because, mm -hmm. oh, well. So now you tell the kids or the parents that you say an assist it's as good as a goal. That's what you want to say, right? So that many yeah. times, open that, I would give it to somebody. Scored. I remember you in trouble. I gave it to him. He says, why? He says, what was the last time you scored a goal? Oh, geez, you're right. I said, nobody remembers, right? And uh, that stays with you. And that's yeah. to come back. A question with Wayne, funniest thing. We did the 50th anniversary of the LA Kings. Well, I'm gonna tell you, I'm there, Charlie Stemmer. He brought back a lot of guys, 50 years, right? 67. Yeah. And it was really a great. Wayne, he's right there. I'm away from Wayne and has a little cocktail. We all have a celebration. And I'm away. And he starts. He's, he's a funny guy. He goes, Hey, my son, get over here. Get away. The guy's like the older players that were there in 67. Wait, this is a great one. This is, this is. Yeah, he started his speech. He says, "Well, thank God, we got Rogi Vashon here, and he names all the guys, and he he, he should be a, a somebody special that represent the country." He's got the words. Then he goes, "says Well, what about Marcel? It's incredible. I just what the career he's had at the Triple Crown, this and that." Out of nowhere, he turned towards me, says, "By the way." Give me back the trophy you get from me. <laughs> the scoring title. That's great. All the photos, one after another. He's walking away from the group. Everybody's laughing. And he, I said, hold it now. I said, you can't, you can't do this. So I said, don't go anywhere. I said, I went in my pocket. I took my wallet. I said, how much do you want to get paid for what you do? <laughs> Uh, you gotta have fun, eh? You did have fun. I'll tell you what else you enjoyed too. And this again sends a tremendous message. Um, we all know about the Hart Trophy, and you were a finalist for the Hart Trophy. I get that, but I gotta believe, as as a as a hockey player, nothing means more than what your fellow players think of you. And in 1979 and in 1980, in back to back years in the midst of Wayne's heyday, in the midst of some of the greatest hockey we've ever seen, two consecutive years, the players voted you as the Ted Lindsay Award winner. What did that mean to you that your peers said, not Wayne Gretzky, not of these other guys, Marcel Dion is the best player in the NHL today, not once, but two years in a row. That was special because that's, again, the press you know, you can't believe everything, but I was tough with them because ask me an intelligent question. I'll give you an intelligent answer. Not afraid of that. And, uh, but it was just, I was the new coming, right? And coming from your peers, uh, it's huge. It's just huge. I, uh, 
I was very grateful about that and very thankful. And I'm one. I'm one. Because here's what I'll go reverse. Bodie Howe. When I was in Detroit, Red Benson, famous Red Benson, said to me, he said, Marcel, nobody, nobody will ever beat Bodie Howe's record. Guess what? Guess what? Yeah. If Mario would have been healthy, it would have been two. So my point, yeah. my point is, when you get it, you understand that to have those individuals to be over the top. Do you know that Gordy Howe never scored fifty goals? Yeah, but he played twenty six years, and the most he ever had was one hundred and nine points, and you destroyed those numbers. Those are those times. I saw what the Red Wings did to him. And that's another thing. What I yeah. knew, Goldie Hall was on the ice. I'm sorry, I could tell you so many things. That I, I don't have Alzheimer, but I just am right there. This is what I'm going to tell you. This had a huge impact on me. Huge impact. We're on the ice. We practice. Goldie was like uh, Harris vice president or something with the Red Wings. <laughs> he was not really good at that, I guess. He's on the ice. He's, got his suit. He's on the ice. I think I'm watching what's going on that end. I'm watching what he's shooting on the goalie. He's this yeah. and then that. True story. There was a phone near the bench. The phone rang. That to Gordy, you have to get out, get off the ice. And our coach, my coach was uh, Doug Barkley. That's this. And that's my point from the interview. Who am I? When one, the greatest all-time player, yeah. they didn't think too much of him, get off the ice. That guy there wow. would have said something to me. So you position you this way. You, you go that way. Here's what's going to happen. That's what it did to that man. And guess what? that point, I knew what the NHL was all about. You don't yeah. take care of yourself. That's it. Yeah, no, I played 18 years, 18 years, right? One promise I made was very simple. I knew I was never going to come back in the game. I had no interest. My promise, I would never, never work for somebody. Never. 71 years old, I never did. That's my cup. I fire yeah. people. Yeah. Not really. I love them all. If they don't fight, yeah. I take care of them. But you're a good business. And that's man. what it is. I the game for me brought me everything I got. The fans are the ones I stayed with. They're the ones yeah. that made me rich. Not the game. Yeah. Oh, the name is great. But I do things that I don't want to be part of. I don't need it. You're an interesting radical. We're in conversation with Marcel Dion, Hockey Hall of Fame legend, uh, sixth on the all-time score goal-scoring list, 7-11 Overtime Podcast. I'm your host, Gino Retta. You're an individual. You've gone against the grain numerous times. You've got an interesting relationship with Russian hockey. You've long time been a friend of Trachiak. You've gone back after the Canada Cups, the World Cups, uh, six or seven times to Russia. Tell me a little bit about your relationship with that, with Russia. From what the experience in 1972, 
that was the thing for me that changed my thinking forever, ever. Witness where we are today, Gino, where we are today. I'm not a politician, but let me tell you, I know a lot. It's about yeah. people. And when I saw that through those, I, I knew those players, this, this is, those guys are incredible. The scouting reports were wrong. But then I look, where are we? Russia? What's this? This is not a free country. I saw people that makes no sense. Seemed the 2,500 fans that were there that they realize where we come from. This became more than a game. If Paul Henderson does not score that goal, like Phil said, I was meeting in Vancouver when he spoke on the ice, a lot of us, it probably wouldn't have been the same. But the yeah. fact that it did happen, there was a reason for all those fans kissing the ground, being happy. I met a lot after that. But these guys were great. They didn't have the freedom. They went back in the army. They were restricted, talented. Oh, my God. Here's my press. These guys don't smoke. These guys don't drink. They, they were wrong. They smoked like chimneys, and he drank not beer. He drank the vodka. And vodka. You learn from that. And then you watch them over the years. And I go back with books. I know who the names are, and I said, are you kidding me? This was a war. And the young people that probably watch this, it's incredible. And again, I didn't live that in a locker room by itself. One thing, when I went back at the training camp in Detroit, everything, because I practiced so much, was slow motion, you know? It was slow motion. I realized I can be better because I was with practicing some of the best players. I says, yeah. there were no stars for that series. What's this? G.P. Perry his best hockey ever. Gary yeah. Bergman, his best hockey ever. Han Ellis, Paul Henderson, Bobby Clark, it was his start and career. I mean, you can go on and say, it was an incredible thing to see you don't have to be a superstar. You just put in and do the job, and suddenly this is your best hockey ever. And matter of fact, if, if nobody believes me, let's go back with the Montreal Canadiens when they went all the way. Where's the team? Those all those players. It's the moment, right? How can you yeah. beat everybody? And play that well. And everybody says, oh my God, what next year is enough? You know what I said? Most of those players have played a career season right there. They went right at the moment. You know, this is unbelievable. And what they does different, the biggest break for Team Canada, I witness it. It's when we went to Sweden. The team, there was no press. Suddenly, I saw it evolve, and then the wives came to Russia. It was a totally different atmosphere. We could have won the four games. We lost the first one, and we 
were leading. Leading one yeah. point. One point. If it's not crazy, and you were just, uh, what, were you 12 years old then? How old were you? I was 12. Good for you. Good math. <laughs> That's why it's the greatest moment of all time. I know when Sidney Crosby scored the winning goal for team. In 2010. Greatest goal. I said, no, you're not. You don't understand. No. And uh, if Paul doesn't sign, I mean, there's a story for him jumping up. It changes history. It's an incredible story. Yeah. You change history, my friend. I mean, I talked about your eight 100 point seasons uh, for a little perspective. That's third. <laughs> On the most all-time 100-point seasons. Only Wayne Gretzky and Mario Lemieux had more 100-point seasons than you did. The You're a legend. I mean, sometimes we use the word legend way too easily. Um, as as we wrap things up, I, I want to harken back on a, on a tremendous moment. Yeah, you didn't get to win a Stanley Cup. Neither did Joe Thornton. Neither did Roberto Luongo. Neither did the Sedin twins. Neither did Jerome McGinley. No, that didn't happen. 1990, the LA Kings both you and Wayne had a tremendous relationship in that you were amongst the best of all time. You both brought hockey to LA. You brought hockey to LA before Wayne brought hockey to LA completely changed the game there. They retire your Jersey in 1990, obviously very emotional for you in 2012. They win the Stanley cup. They ask you to be part of the banner raising because you helped elevate that organization. Then in 2014, they win again. And they present you with a Stanley Cup ring because you were part of building the organization to the point where they could win the Stanley Cup. What did that mean to you? Well, that was pretty cool. That was really cool as well. Uh, very well uh, kept secret. My wife didn't know. Just a, one of the players' wife called. She says, what, what size do you think uh, Marcel the ring wears or something? And she didn't pay attention to that. She says, well, they're probably going to and I had, you know, I, I didn't have anything. I, I, I think when I got that, I said, hey, 30, 40 years from now, if I show that ring, the people will say, oh, Marcel, I remember that year. That was, you had an incredible series when you guys won the setting. <laughs> people forget. But yeah. it was really nice. Uh, they gave one to Rogi Vashon. We're, we're pretty good friends. But he won three. He won three. And it ups. And you know, at one time, they didn't give any rings either. What it did for me, especially for business, they want to see that. They want to see that. Yeah. You know, so that's okay. Where's the ring? Where's okay? Okay, I'll go back and get it. It's at the house or something. And they just and that's it. And took a shot of it and then sent it to one of my sisters who went to my mother. Because my young brother won the Stanley Cup with the Montreal Canadiens. And uh, this is a true story. And uh, when my dad passed away, uh, my brother just put the ring, right? He was sitting there and all that stuff. And then people come in and, geez, have a look at it. Uh, Mr. Dion's got it and so on. So when it came time to close the coffin, the insurance guy that's been a friend for mine, the whole family, he said, Marcel, Marcel, got to cancel the policy on the swing. Hold it, hold it. This is true story. He said, my dad's not going down with this. Wait, wait. The kids yeah. from the funeral took the ring out, give it back to my brother. They had fun at it. He didn't really care about that. He about the game, he just didn't want to see get hurt. But when my young brother won the cup, 
went home and I knew there was going to be a riot. We stayed in Long Island. My wife watched this. It's going to be a riot. I must have been the only guy that knew. They were not ready for it. So I got home, get up early in the morning, 10 o'clock. My dad's a big guy. So I got out of the car. He hugged me. I never liked that. I mean, I was just thinking the other. He says, <laughs> we won the cup. Oh. Tears. That's what it meant. Everybody, it's you, but it's the people, my families, my friends. When my young brother won it, I mean, you know, they battled over this. When they talk about the Stanley Cup, the ultimate, just that we're going to watch Sunday for the Super Bowl, it's more than having this. It's, yeah. you know what I'm saying? It's, and then you win, and you got to do it again. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you got to do it again. I got to tell you, my friend, it has been wonderful catching up with you. You're a great storyteller. It's great living, reliving the moments, the wonderful moments. I can't tell you how much we appreciate it as hockey fans watching your career. And I can't tell you how much I appreciate you taking these few minutes to share your stories. Thank you so much. The best. I like to talk, but you were really right on when other writers or, or whatever it is. They don't do their homework like you did. I'm really proud that I know you're a friend. I've watched it over the years. You stayed as a professional. You speak as a professional. You're not eccentric. You do it right, and it's fun to watch you. Thank you so much. Our Ross Trophy winner, two-time Ted Lindsay Award winner, six-time 50-goal scorer, sixth on the all-time NHL goal-scoring list, Marcel Dion. The Overtime Podcast is proudly presented by 7-Eleven. Before leaving the rink, order your favorite Slurpee, fresh 100% premium Arabica coffee, hot from the oven pizza and wings, pint of ice cream, or even a carton of milk, a dozen eggs, and a loaf of bread from the 7Now app and Team 7-Eleven. We'll have your order ready for pickup 24-7. Hey, if you missed any parts of the show, don't worry. Visit our website at overtimepodcast.ca where you can both listen and subscribe to future shows. 7-Eleven's Overtime Podcast can be found on the iHeartRadio app, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any of your favorite podcast platforms. Until next week, I'm Gino Retta saying so long, hockey fans, and thanks for joining us on the 7-Eleven Overtime Podcast. Here are a couple of hot, tasty ways to crush the crave. Download the 7-Now delivery app, and 7-Eleven will have your hot and delicious crave crushers to your door almost before you can say... Fuel me up, Sev. You know the crave I'm talking about. The one that's whispering wings or pizza in your ear right now. For just $11.69, order a large hot from the oven in minutes pepperoni pizza. Add a two-liter Coke or Pepsi for $2. 7-Eleven is your go-to for fast delivery of Slurpee, groceries, essentials, meals, snack and treats 24-7.